Why write a book about the Antichrist? Perhaps as we see more freedoms in jeopardy with each passing day, those publications give us a foreshadowing of what is to come. Whatever the purpose, we want you to meet an author with a new book about the evil beast of Revelation 13. You don't want to miss the conversation coming up next. Spends the first three and a half years conquering the world and becoming the world leader, and then in the last three and a half years, he becomes obsessed with one thing, and that's the destruction of the Jewish people from the face of the earth. He's going to pick up where Hitler left off and try to kill every Jew. Satan hates the Jewish people with a passion, and he hates them because God has promised that in the end times, a great remnant's going to be brought to salvation when they accept Jesus, Yeshua, as their Messiah. And he's determined, Satan is, to kill every Jew on planet Earth so that God cannot fulfill that promise. This is Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell. This program brings you relevant insight from the Bible as we review the issues facing our world. Jan Markell is a veteran broadcaster and author. Every week she brings you people who are making a difference in discerning our times. Jan's guest today is the founder of Lamb and Lion Ministries, Dr. David Reagan. Dr. Reagan has written 11 books. His TV program deals with the prophetic significance of national and international events. Here now is Jan Markell. Say, we're going to cover a familiar topic again today. Are we living in the last days? Because the answer is yes. And you hear these issues very often on Understanding the Times Radio, in part because the church is silent on the subject of the last days from a biblical perspective. I'll hit a couple of additional issues as well with my guest, Dr. Dave Reagan of Lamb Lion Ministry. And Dr. Reagan has been a frequent conference speaker of mine going back to 2006. He's the author of several books and the host of Christ in Prophecy TV program. We carry his latest book. I'll say more about that. Actually, going to be quizzing Dr. Reagan about this topic for the uh, some opening comments anyway, and that is the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist in the tribulation. So Dr. Dave Reagan, welcome back to the program. I'm always delighted to be on your program, and I want to congratulate you on the fact that uh, you have greatly expanded your outreach uh, recently. That's a wonderful blessing of the Lord, and I just pray you'll continue to magnify your voice. Well, thank you, David. Yes, it's been quite a journey in the last 13 years, for (laughs) sure. Say, I agree with you, and I'm just jumping to this kind of this man of lawlessness here for a little while. I agree with you that we generally focus on Jesus Christ and not the Antichrist, and why write a book on the Antichrist? Christ, because you and I agree that this topic is dark, it's hardly edifying, and yet is a very prominent person. We don't know who he is, we don't even know if he's around right now. He probably is, but we don't know that. But why write about him? Well, uh, in your remarks right there, you mentioned one of the reasons that uh, I wrote about it, because in my uh, preface, in my introduction, I said, I never in my wildest imagination ever figured I would spend time writing a book about the Antichrist, mm-hmm. because I like to focus on Jesus Christ, and I have written an entire book about why I believe Jesus was the divine Son of God. But uh, the reason is that uh, I began to run across so many books being put out by prophecy teachers in which they were trying to identify the Antichrist, one after another after another. And to me, that's just exercise in silliness that uh, people would try to identify who he is right now. But there's been many books put out in just recent years in which people have tried every way in the world to identify specifically who the Antichrist is actually going to be. So I have a whole chapter in the book entitled The Naming of the Antichrist. Start off that chapter by telling a funny story. My former Mm -hmm. colleague, Dennis Pollack, who was with me for 11 years, 
before he formed his own ministry, asked me one time, he said, could I spend a radio program? That's back when we were on the radio. And he said, could I spend a whole radio program just talking about the silliness of trying to name the Antichrist? And I said, sure. So he gets on the radio and he starts talking about a letter he had received in which a person had tried to prove that the Antichrist was the popular purple dinosaur that was on television at that time. Really? I forget what his name was. Uh, Barney. Yeah, Barney the dinosaur. And so he, he went through all this and showed how this guy had figured up the numerals and it all added up to 666. And about a week later, we get a letter from a guy who's outraged, saying, I heard your program and I can't believe that you were on the air trying to prove that Barney the Purple Dinosaur was the Antichrist. Well, he he tuned in in the middle. He didn't get the introduction. Okay. So uh, poor Dennis, he had to write back and explain that he really wasn't doing that. You say that it is a misperception that the Antichrist will be one of the most brilliant, effective leaders in the world because, first of all, he's going to be one of the most evil leaders in the whole world. But he's going to use both diplomacy and military power to gain control. But you're right, because when I first think of the Antichrist, I look at the picture of somebody you've got on the cover of your book, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of sinister-looking guy, and he looks pretty evil and all. But the Antichrist not going to be the most brilliant, effective leader in world history? How could he be if his kingdom only lasts a total of seven years? I mean, this is a guy who destroys himself. He spends the first three and a half years conquering the world and becoming the world leader, and then in the last three and a half years, he becomes obsessed with one thing, and that's the destruction of the Jewish people from the face of the earth. He's going to pick up where Hitler left off and try to kill every Jew, and during that time when he is totally obsessed with them and focused on them, his whole kingdom just literally falls apart. The guy starts out brilliantly and ends up a confused mess and completely defeated and his kingdom gone. And he does sound like some modern-day politicians who can have <laughs> some, of those, some of those yeah, characteristics. He's going to be a smooth guy mm-hmm. and uh, slick, and I think he will rise uh, to power uh, in Europe uh, peacefully through the use of cunning. And furthermore, I think the Bible indicates that he's going to be possessed by Satan, so he will have great wisdom and uh, be able to really, uh, I think, deceive a lot of people. I think, though, that he is going to have to conquer the world with military power because uh, Africa, Asia, and Latin America have spent the past 250 years getting out from underneath European colonialism. And after doing that, they're not going to suddenly turn around, bow down, and say, please come and rule us. And I think that's why all these wars are described in the book of Revelation, is he's going to have to go to war to conquer the rest of the world. But once he does that, he's going to go to Jerusalem, declare himself to be God. And when he does that, he's going to become obsessed with one thing, and that is the destruction of the Jewish people. David, let's back up just a little bit, going back to the first part of the tribulation, because in the first part of the tribulation, he makes a covenant with Israel. He comes on the scene as a good guy, riding on a white horse. He's going to have a peace treaty with them. They buy into him hook, line, and sinker, correct? That's right. They think he is their savior. Not their spiritual savior, Mm -hmm. but they think he's their political savior. And they receive him with open arms. There's no doubt about that. And then in the middle of the tribulation, when he goes to Jerusalem and enters the rebuilt temple and declares himself to be God, they, of course, are horrified. And that's when they turn against him, and that's when he tries to destroy them. You know, Jan, you know this as well as I do, that Satan hates the Jewish people with a passion. He hates them because God gave the Bible through them. He hates them because God gave the Messiah through them. He hates them because they are the chosen people of God. And he hates them because God has promised that in the end times, a great remnant's going to be brought to salvation when they accept Jesus, Yeshua, as their Messiah. And he's determined, Satan is, to kill every Jew on planet Earth so that God cannot fulfill that promise to save a great remnant in the end. And that's going to be the last hurrah right there, that last three and a half years of the tribulation when the Antichrist tries to destroy the Jewish people. You know, there's one question I have, David, because it's going to be sort of uh, revered and esteemed, the Antichrist is. And my question is, and you you raise these 
these issues and these questions in in your book. Let me just name the book because I'm carrying it, and it's called The Man of Lawlessness, The Antichrist in the Tribulation. You can find that through at my website if you want, olivetreeviews.org, and go to our products. You can find that at lamblion.com. The question I have is, I mean, he's going to be admired. I mean, Adolf Hitler was admired, too, by the Germans for a season right. anyway. It, or is this going to be kind of like a leader of North Korea where those people are forced to admire him? Or is this going to be a true admiration? Oh, I think that uh, at least uh, where he rises to power, his base, which I believe will be the European Union, the uh, coming together now of the old Roman Empire, I believe that uh, he will be greatly admired. I think he will be a man who they think has the answer to all the world's problems. I think he'll be dynamic and charismatic, and uh, he will deceive a lot of people. I really believe that. You know? And and where do you think America fits in? And I talked to Mark Hitchcock about this. Where do you think America fits into that scenario? We have just declined and, there, and therefore moved into this European Union? It could very well be that we would be absorbed into it. I think that we're going to see a great decline of the United States. I've said that for many years, and Terry James and others who agree with that, that we are going to continue to decline because we're just not a major player in the end times. And uh, that's one of the great mysteries of Scripture. Uh, we are so close to the end with the signs of the times are so clear that we are living on borrowed time, and yet we're still the major world power. So something has to happen that's going to uh, remove us from that position. And, you know, you can run scenarios all day long, like an atomic weapon attack or a terrorist attack that uh, is so great that it uh, somebody gets on top of the Empire State Building and opens a shoebox full of, uh, what is it, the, the white powder, and um, people are dying right and left. Or it, you could just simply float a merchant ship into New York Harbor with an atomic bomb on it and blow the whole place up, and uh, this nation would be in absolute chaos. There's a lot of scenarios. The one I think most likely is that uh, the rapture will occur. And when that occurs, we're going to lose more key leaders in business, mm-hmm. government, uh, military, than any other nation in the world would lose. I'm hoping that will be it, but uh, yeah. who knows? It well, may be a tremendous economic collapse. That's what uh, Mark Hitchcock, he feels, will be the real game changer, will be the rapture. But see, yes. what I think it's going to be a combination of things, and I think one of the biggest elements in it is going to be this push for globalism, this one-world system, mm-hmm. and America has to come in line with that one-world system. I have a short soundbite here. I believe it's Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel and even Chuck Missler talking about this globalist system. I'd like your take on it when it's uh, completed. According to the Bible, in the last days, all of the world will be gathered together in sort of a global community, ruled by this one man, empowered by Satan, known as the beast or the Antichrist or the man of sin or the son of perdition. In Revelation chapter 13 we read, And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now the Bible has indicated that at the end times, as, as it calls it, there's going to be a global leader rise. And he's going to be the most attractive guy the world has ever seen. The world is going to embrace him. And incidentally, he's a man of peace. He's a financial guy, not a military guy. He becomes very militarily powerful so that who can make war with him is the cry. In 1995, hundreds of political, business, and religious leaders joined together in San Francisco for the first annual State of the World Forum. Their mission statement is to build the first global civilization. Proposals included creating a common language, creating a single currency, 
and uniting and accepting all religions. One of the religious leaders said, the universe is seeking to fulfill itself through us. As we study world events, we must conclude that the world is working towards a new world order. It's interesting as you examine what's going on in each country, not just in America, but also in the major countries of Europe, there seems to be a hidden agenda being followed towards a global socialist centralized government. We see that trend in this country. The Bush administration made that quite clear. The current administration is also clearly marching to that agenda. We see in Britain, France, Germany, the politicians uh, are subverting their own national interests towards a dream of a one world government. There's lots of reasons for that. The idealists believe it may be the best for the environment and for the earth. Uh, others point out that the real driving force probably is nuclear proliferation. Now the world is heading uh, for disaster and as you grapple with these issues, the conclusion you come to is the only answer is global supervision. Most of the leadership in the world is pursuing an agenda that presumes that there's going to have to be a single administration of the planet Earth. And the challenge before mankind is how do you get there nonviolently? You are listening to Understanding the Times Radio, and I am Jan Markell. I have on the line Dr. Dave Reagan. David Reagan, a global civilization, and um, the global civilization is going to have quite a lot of problems to deal with. Your thoughts on this? Well, I would agree with uh, their thesis that we are headed toward a world government and that there are many, many trends in that direction, also toward a world-centralized religion, I believe. I do not think that it's going to be achieved peacefully, though. I do not believe that at all. I think that the Antichrist will rise to power peacefully in Europe. He will be, as I said, a dynamic, charismatic leader who the uh, Europeans will be fawning over. But when it starts trying to rule the world, the Bible says that in the first half of the tribulation, one half of humanity will die. It seems to describe a conventional war that morphs into a nuclear war, but it says that one half of humanity is going to die in the first half, and it says in the second half, two-thirds of the Jews are going to die. I think he's going to conquer the world militarily. I do not think he will be a man of peace only when he initially arrives but very quickly when he's crossed, he will resort to military power. And I think he will conquer the world and he will be successful. And I think probably the ones who will respond most negatively to him will be the Muslim world. I think they will really resent the idea of a European leader who wants to rule the whole world. And I think that God will work through the Antichrist to bring judgment upon the Muslim world. And I suspect that most of those dying during that time are going to be in the Muslim world. And once he conquers the world, I think the whole world will then fall over him and the whole world world will adore him. And whether it's sincere or whether it's because they're afraid of their own lives, I don't know. Probably a combination of the two. So then his heritage, uh, you feel, I believe, would be that of uh, a Gentile. And that comes heavily out of a verse out of Revelation 13, 1, about the beast coming out of the sea. But how do you conclude, therefore, that the Antichrist will likely be a Gentile? Not a Jew, not a Muslim, but a Gentile. Well, uh, the verse that you just uh, described uh, is a good one. It talks about coming out of the sea. The sea is used as a symbol Mm -hmm. in uh, prophecy as uh, the nations, the nations of the world, whereas the land is usually referred to as uh, uh, Israel and a Jew. So that's an indication there they would come out of the nations. But the real key prophecy is the one over in Daniel chapter 9, where it says that the Antichrist will rise out of the people who uh, destroy the temple. Mm -hmm. And the people who destroyed the temple in 70 AD were the Romans. And so I think that he will be a person of Roman heritage who will come out of Europe as a result of that particular verse in Daniel. 
Daniel chapter 9 and specifically in verse 26. But you do not believe that he knows his role. If he's alive today, and I think it might be a good guess he is alive today, you feel he doesn't know his role as we speak. That's going to have to happen at a later time. Well, you raised two issues there, and let me speak about yeah. both of them for just a moment. First of all, you've mentioned several times that you think he's probably alive today. I think so too, but I think he has always been alive in this sense. Satan knows Bible prophecy, but he doesn't know the timing of it. Well, I think he's always had a candidate, always, someone yeah. alive at any point in history that was his candidate to be the Antichrist, so that the moment God made his move, mm-hmm. that Satan would then make his move, and he would have his candidate ready. I think he has a candidate ready today, and I don't think that candidate has the slightest idea that he really is the candidate to be the Antichrist, but I think he has a candidate. Totally agree with you, uh, David. I've said that many, many times, and so we can look back in history. We certainly don't know, but there were obviously some very likely candidates. <laughs> there certainly yeah, were. Yes. It, particularly in recent history, but really going all the way back, way, way back. There's sure. uh, these, these even very, the very, uh, even Roman times, very, very evil people. Yes. David, I need to make just a quick announcement here, and that is to enlist some prayer on behalf of a, a Bible prophecy warrior here for many years. Everyone who loves the uh, prophetic word of God and who's looking for his return uh, knows my good friend uh, Jack Kinsella, and you've heard him on this program many times, and he writes the uh, powerful daily intelligence briefing, the Omega Letter, and he's also the primary writer for, for Hal Lindsey Ministries. I talked to Jack last night. He was just diagnosed with uh, liver cancer. He has only a few months, and he lives in Canada and, frankly, didn't get the best help in Canada. And uh, the socialized medicine up there now going to be a reality here. And as a result, he's very far on in the uh, cancer stage. Pray for Jack, won't you? His wife, Gail, their daughters, 14 grandchildren, all are taking this very hard. It came on suddenly. No one expected this. And uh, we're taking it hard here at um, Olive Tree Ministries as well. He's one of uh, my good friends. So good friends in the Lord need to never say goodbye. It's uh, we'll see you later. And that's the case with Jack as well. In the meantime, uh, keep the entire family in prayer, won't you? And I want to make just one other little comment here, and that is we need to hear from you folks. We air on a lot of stations, and without feedback, we just assume that uh, no one's listening, so we need to hear from you. Here's what we're going to do. We're offering a couple of free DVDs. If you're not in our database and we can send you our free print newsletter, you can call Monday through Friday. I'll give you the number and the website. And if you're not in our database, we're offering you a free DVD, either America and Prophecy by Dr. Mark Hitchcock or Dr. Erwin Lutzer's message to us at Understanding the Times 2012, One Minute After You Die, A Portrait of Your Future Destination. That was a powerful message last October. 763-559-4444, 763-559-4444, or email us through the website, olivetreeviews.org, olivetreeviews.org. When I get back with Dr. Dave Reagan, I'm going to ask him a little bit about the Antichrist partner in crime, the false prophet. This right-hand guy called the false prophet, who then begins to organize really a, a whole new uh, system of worship that is focused on the Antichrist. He's sort of the John the Baptist of the uh, of the Antichrist. We will talk about that in just two minutes exactly, and we'll be back to discuss that topic. Don't go away, please. Jan Markell and David Reagan will return in just a moment. Have you enjoyed these radio programs? Jan comes to you every week with information you will rarely find on the radio. Her website has even more resources to help discern these troubling times. Join us online at olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. 
This is Eric Barger, the co-host of Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell. I'm so happy to be a part of the media team developing the programs each week as we consistently deliver truth about current issues that you won't hear anywhere in the other media, all focused on helping you understand the times. Please remember to pray for Jan and our team as we research the topics and bring you the most compelling guests. Also, please remember us in your giving. We are now on 650 radio stations each weekend as well as on the Internet worldwide and we need your prayerful financial partnership to help us maintain this kind of outreach. You can order products or give a donation by phone at 763-559-4444 or on the web at olivetreeviews.org. If you prefer, our mailing address is Olive Tree Ministries, Post Office Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota 55311. On behalf of Jan Markell and the rest of our media team, thanks for joining us today for Understanding the Times Radio. In the Old Testament, the prophet Daniel said there would come a generation that would run to and fro. We think that's today's generation, so we want to come alongside of you as you run, so you don't have to skip Understanding the Times Radio. We have mobile apps for your Android, iPhone, and iPad. You can always listen online on your computer. Go to olivetreeviews.org and then to radio for instructions. If that sounds like too much, become a CD subscriber for $15 a month and get a CD of every broadcast. And if you hear a program that's a favorite, just call us and we'll make a special order of that program for you. When you communicate with us, be sure to tell us how you listen or to which station you listen. We're new to some neighborhoods and we want to get acquainted. Call us at 763-559-4444. That's 763-559-4444. But this coming world leader may not be what you expect. Antichrist will be suave, intelligent, engaging, magnetic, charismatic. He'll do what no other man has ever been able to do before. He'll bring global peace. He'll solve the Middle East peace puzzle. He will rid the world of terrorism. He will be so successful, he will be hailed as the greatest peacemaker who has ever lived. He will even get the Jewish nation and Arab nations to sign a peace treaty, paving the way for the long-awaited Third Temple. But behind that is the most evil man who has ever walked this earth. Jan and Dr. David Reagan continue their conversation about the Antichrist. They're discussing what the Bible calls the false prophet. Once again, here's Jan. Welcome back, folks. You are listening to uh, Understanding the Times, and I have on the line Dr. David Reagan. And we have been talking, well, we've been talking some uh, end-time issues, and particularly the very intriguing aspect of the Antichrist. He goes by many names in the Bible, the beast, the man of lawlessness, son of perdition, all sorts of names in the Bible. And he's got a partner he hangs out with, and he's identified as the false prophet. David Reagan, I'm using partly as a reference, the book, The Man of Lawlessness, The Antichrist and the Tribulation. It's a book by Dave Reagan. It's in our bookstore. It's in our bookstore. If you go to olivetreeviews.org, you talk about the false prophet and you feel that he will have a Jewish heritage. How come? 
Well, I think there's a possibility, a strong possibility, because in uh, Revelation chapter 13, where it talks about the rise of the Antichrist as the beast coming up out of the sea, which is used in Bible prophecy as a euphemism for the nations, it says further down in the uh, chapter, where it talks about, in verse 11, another beast coming up, but this one comes up out of the earth or out of the land. That word there can be translated either way. And usually when there's a reference to the earth or the land uh, in this kind of context, it's referring to Israel. So I, I think there's a, a strong possibility that the false prophet might be a person who has a Jewish heritage. Now, I don't think that this is going to be the religious leader of the Antichrist for the first uh, of the first half of the tribulation. The indication, I think, of Scripture is that during the first half of the tribulation, the Antichrist is probably going to take some religious world leader who is already on the scene, and uh, he will rally the world behind him and basically form a world religion. There will be a, a confederation of many different religions and have this particular individual who's already on the world scene to hit it up. But it, the indication of Scripture is that he will become fed up with this person, possibly because he begins to try to tell the Antichrist what to do. And so the indication of Scripture is that uh, turns on this man, gets rid of him, and then puts in his place this right-hand guy called a false prophet, who then begins to organize really a, a whole new uh, system of worship that is focused on the Antichrist. He's sort of the John the Baptist of the, uh, of the Antichrist, promoting him and getting people to worship him. But I think initially he's going to select some already known world leader in religion to head up the first church that he has. We have seen a lot in um, 2013, certainly much of February and now extending into March. We have seen focus on the Pope of yes. Catholicism, and uh, we've seen him step down. He's one of the few popes who didn't die in office, which is usually the case. And there has often been a case made that a pope could fit the role of the false prophet. Do you believe that's a possibility? Well, it's a possibility. Uh, I wouldn't say for certain that that's the case, but it uh, certainly could be a possibility. There are, uh, after all, uh, Christians who are uh, Jews. Uh, we call them Messianic Jews. And even in the Catholic Church, among the uh, leaders of the Catholic Church, there are leaders who are uh, have Jewish backgrounds. So that could very well be. I'm not going to say for certain that's the situation, but it could be. People are saying, well, this is the last pope, you know, and, and uh, that he definitely will be the Antichrist or that he's going to be the false prophet or whatever. I don't think he'll be the Antichrist. And whether he's the last pope or not is another question. He certainly could be because the signs of the times point to the soon return of Jesus. They indicate that he's at the very gates of heaven waiting for his father to tell him to step out on a cloud. But uh, I certainly don't believe that he's the last pope based upon these prophecies that supposedly were made by a Irish saint yeah. back in the, uh, the 1100s. I think that that whole thing is a fraud and uh, the so-called prophecies are on the level with Nostradamus's prophecies. They're just so obtuse nobody can understand what they mean until after the fact. In fact, they're kind of funny. What they do, they're kind of little one-line things and they say the, the next pope will something have to do with a rose and then they <laughs> look up to see which pope that was and they, they discover that his mother liked, liked roses. So yeah. that's a fulfillment of the prophecy. Yeah. Just silliness, really. Well, I agree. We looked at it. I looked at it with uh, Terry James a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And St. Malachi, I think his name was. Yeah. You know, right. David, as we're talking here and we're we're covering some intriguing issues and, and I think anything that relates to the end of the age ought to be very intriguing to everybody. And you have been in the realm of eschatology longer than I and I'm sure it, things have changed enormously since you first went into ministry. But I have a question for you, a direct question for you, and I, I realize there's no answer to this question, but you've addressed it before. Will we ever 
ever get the church interested in these topics, and or should I say reinterested? Actually, they were some 25 years ago. What do you think happened, and will we ever get them to have any kind of interest again? Well, you brought up a very sad topic for me mm-hmm. because I've been doing this now for almost 35 years, and I have uh, seen the church's uh, interest in uh, prophecy uh, wane rather than grow. And uh, that's really disappointing to me because, again, it seems to me that the signs of the times are literally shouting from the heavens yes. that Jesus is about to return. And here the church is simply ignoring it. They're not preaching about it. They're not teaching about it. They're not telling people how to get ready for the Lord's return. They're not teaching the hope of the Lord's return. It seems that most churches today are primarily concerned about one thing. What can we do uh, to increase attendance? Uh, and many, unfortunately, are going to entertainment or they're going to a sort of seeker-friendly type of, you never mentioned sin or repentance or the blood of Christ or whatever. And so we're preaching a watered-down gospel, and we're not really preaching Bible prophecy. And you know, Jan, when I talk to pastors about that, and I ask them, why don't you ever preach about Bible prophecy? Usually what they say to me is, well, David, it's just sort of pie in the sky. You know, I've got a congregation full of people who have all kinds of serious problems. I've got dope addicts. I've got alcoholic addicts. I've got people involved in extramarital affairs. I've got to preach sermons that are down to earth and have to do with the problems people are facing now. And my response to that is, I understand exactly what you're saying and where you're coming from, but you don't understand Bible prophecy. Because, Zan, I point out to them, if you can ever convince people of two things concerning Bible prophecy, you will change their lives. If you can convince them, number one, Jesus really is coming back. Now, most Christians believe that in their mind, but they don't believe it in their heart, that he really is coming back. And number two, that is an event that could occur any moment. You convince people of those two things, and you know what you'll do? You will motivate them to holy living. Mm -hmm. and you will motivate them to evangelism. And I don't know what could be more practical than a message that that motivates people to evangelism and holy living. Totally agree. I don't understand. It's like hand-fitting in a glove, the topics of um, end times and evangelism. And I think, too, that that a lot of pastors identify Bible prophecy with uh, total sensationalism. It has to do Mm -hmm. with people who go around setting dates all the time and making sensational claims. And and those things happen. I mean, there are times, Jan, when I'm in embarrassed to be a Bible prophecy teacher because of uh, the wackos who who are setting dates and and people who are saying, I I remember when Y2K was coming around, the the world's coming to the end, American society will cease to exist, and so forth and so on. It's really sad. Uh, There was a Lutheran pastor in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. This would be some seven, eight years ago now. I knew him well. And uh, it was a fairly solid Lutheran church, still is for that matter. And this uh, Lutheran pastor put on a series uh, on eschatology, on Bible prophecy, scene. In, in this particular Lutheran church. He did a very fine job. I happened to watch online, and I commend him for it because one of his church members came up to him, and he told this story from the pulpit. One of his church members came up to him, David, and said, um, you know, my life is so filled with problems and with with conflict and with heartaches, and you want to sit there and preach about these end times, and you want to talk about this nation of Israel, and how How is that possibly healing the hurts in my life? And this pastor said to the gentleman, and he told the story from the pulpit. He named him and said, you know, if you would, first of all, if you would bless Israel, that was the primary, that was a primary condition. If you would bless Israel, you know, some of the issues in your life might turn around. And he, he gave that illustration. But it was interesting because some of the people in this particular Lutheran church were bucking this series of messages on end times from this very strong Lutheran church in our area. And I found that to be an interesting story. Amen. 
David, there's something else I wanted to ask you about because I'm looking at your current magazine, your March-April magazine. That's the Lamplighter. And, folks, go to his website for this information. It's lamblion.com, lamblion.com. You can sign up for a hard copy or you can read it online. I happen to be reading it online. And you've got an article in there where you say this. It's under the headline of school shootings. And you say, after the recent school shooting tragedy in Connecticut, I noticed that the TV news programs focused on interviewing psychologists and psychiatrists as they sought an explanation for the senseless rampage. Most of what I heard in response to their questions was what I would call psychobabble. But their questions got me thinking. Again, this is Dave Reagan and his current uh, magazine. And uh, you say, it occurred to me that during the time I was in public school, from the first grade in 1945 to my senior year, 1956, there were no such massacres, and that caused me to wonder what has changed. David, you went on in this article to list some of the things that have changed, and I think it would be a great perspective to hear your perception of how things have changed. Well, that changed very radically, and they've changed very, very fast. It's just breathtaking. One of them is the way in which the court has reinterpreted the First Amendment. The First Amendment never uh, put up a barrier between the state and religion. All it did was put up a barrier between the state creating a church or supporting a church or establishing a church. But they've taken that and said, oh, well, what that really means, and this has only been in recent years, what that really means is a separation of the state and religion. We can't have any kind of religious influence. Well, that is not what our Constitution says. When I was going to school, we had Easter plays. We had uh, Christmas plays. We had Bible readings every day. We had prayer every day. Our English readers were made up of Bible stories with a moral at the end. And this was true throughout American history. It has been true since the very beginning. And and then suddenly it all began to change in 62 when the court outlawed yep. prayer in the public schools in 1980, when they outlawed even the Ten Commandments being shown. And, and, and they did that with the Ten Commandments on the wall behind them in the Supreme Court. But they said, oh, no, we can't have that. And then the other was the closing of the evolution debate. You know, when I was growing up, we heard both sides in class. And the evolutionists said, well, all we want is equal time. Today they say, no, we want all the time. We don't even want people to be introduced to the very concept that there could be a creator God, and we're teaching our children that they are simply evolved from uh, some sort of primeval uh, mud or whatever, and that they are on the basis of the same level with an animal, and then we wonder why they act like animals. And then the transformation of the entertainment industry has probably been one of the greatest factors of all. I mean, when I was growing up, entertainment was the movies, uh, were uh, uh, movies that had right and wrong, they had a moral to them, uh, they, were, they did not have filthy language, they uh, were wholesome, and they always uh, talked about uh, good triumphing over evil. Today, we go to see a movie. We can't tell who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, and the bad guys usually end up winning one way or the other. You can take a look at this. Um, and then, of course, I didn't have TV when I was growing up. I didn't see my first television until 1954, 52, I'm sorry, 1952. And television started off very wholesome. We watched programs like The Life of Riley, I Love Lucy, Father Knows Best, The Nelson Family. They were wonderful programs. Today, uh, the, the, uh, if you put The Nelson Family's own, own people would die laughing. Our, our uh, model today is the Osborne That's family, right. a totally dysfunctional family. And then there's the 
computer revolution. You know, today, a little child can get on the computer and type a few keys, and lo and behold, they're watching pornography. Happened to my wife in the first grade when she asked uh, her kids to, my, my wife is a first grade teacher, and she asked her first graders to write a, an essay about a uh, about a, uh, an animal. And one boy picked the, uh, what was it, uh, the cheetah. And so he goes to the computer and types in cheetah, and the first thing that pops up is a topless woman who is uh, goes by the name of Cheetah, and he's on a porn site. And, and it's just unbelievable. And then the evolution of the church. When I was a kid, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, vacation, Bible school, gospel meetings. Today, most people go to church once a week on Sunday morning, and their kids are exposed to the Word of God for one hour, and then the rest of the week, they're in a classroom where they're exposed to pagan ideas. It's no wonder that we have the problems that we have. To give you the drastic uh, contrast, when I graduated from high school in 1956, our parking lot always had about a hundred pickup trucks every day. In those pickup trucks was a gun rack. In the, on that gun rack was a, a deer rifle, a twenty-two, and a shotgun. And often they had a pistol and a glove compartment. And nobody worried about that. Nobody concerned about that because we had grown up with Christian morality. Today, we have a whole generation that doesn't even know what Christian morality is. And as I end the article, I say the answer to why there's so much violence today is that we have put the guns in the hands of moral pygmies, mm-hmm. people who simply don't know what morality is all about. Do you think it's too late for America? Has God turned his back on America? I do. I've written a, what's called a prophetic manifesto. Yes, you have. And in, and in that prophetic manifesto, I made the point that, uh, is there any hope for America? And I said, no, our only hope is Jesus. And thus we have no hope, for we have rejected him. We've turned our back on the very God who made us great and showered us with blessings. We've forgotten that God's word teaches that to those to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah, as long as we got our eyes on Jesus, there's hope. But when we reach the point where people just could care less... Uh, And you get on the Internet these days, and you just see virulent hatred expressed on the Internet. I mean virulent hatred against anything Christian, against Christians themselves. It's scary, the attitudes that exist out there, because when you get right to it, the only religion in the world that requires anything of anybody, morally, really, is uh, there are two of them, and that's uh, Islam and uh, Christianity requires something morally, and people don't like that. They don't want a religion that requires anything of them morally. Well, there's a story out of your neck of the woods down in Texas, a very recent recently about some students, I think, being forced to dress up in yes. women burkas, That's and I know I was right. interviewed about it, and it just shows you how the tide of our times has changed so, so dramatically here in the last uh, 10, 11, 12, 15 That's years. That's right, and if he had done anything at all about the Christian religion, he would have been fired. Exactly, exactly. Jan, one thing I'd like to just touch on is the fact that this book of mine, The uh, Man of Lawlessness, has a whole section in it where I get the opinions of 22 yep. different Bible prophecies experts on five questions, and I think it's probably the most interesting part of the book. Right, you do, and I appreciated that. And again, folks, the book is, I have it in front of me, and you can get it in my bookstore, which is olivetreeviews.org, Views is in Viewpoint, just go to our products, The Man of Lawlessness, The Antichrist, and The Tribulation. And we've talked just a little bit about it today, but David has the opinion of a number of people, from Gary Fisher to Gary Fraser to Arnold Fruchtenbaum to Phil Goodman, Ed Heinsohn, and let's see, I'm just going over the names real quickly. Mark Hitchcock, David Hawking, Dave Hunt, Noah Hutchings, Terry James, Nathan Jones, Tim LaHaye, and others that are weighing into the uh, book here, Chuck Missler, Ron Rhodes, and more. And I do recommend it. If this topic intrigues you, there's a lot of information in time. I want to ask you one last question, and then our time is up, David. Do you believe that there is, in a sense, a second chance during the tribulation? If you've heard the gospel, rejected it today, you have a second chance in the tribulation? 
Well, that's a good question. That's a $64 question. I know, question. I know. And, and you know what? I interviewed about uh, 25 people on that at the pre-trib conference mm-hmm. where people take Bible prophecy literally, and half of them said yes, and the other half said no. Well, that's about it. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just one of those things. I, I think that we need to, uh, that anybody who thinks, well, I'll just put off accepting the Lord because I'll have a chance during the tribulation, they, they better be careful. Folks, let me just close this segment. We're going to go to our special report in just a few minutes, but let me close this segment by saying that we are living in one of the most significant days of history that the world has ever known. And we're living in the days about which the Bible referred to more than any other time frame, the last days. It is both a privilege and a challenge to be born for such a time as this. And we've been talking about events at the end of the age. And and the Bible says in Luke 21, when you see some of these things begin to come to pass, lift up your heads and know your Redeemer draws near. When they begin to come to pass, then look for his return. So the Bible is unique, the only book that dares to place its entire credence that it can tell in advance that what will take place, whatever, all sorts of things that are going to take place, and they actually do. So it's a very, very unique book, the Bible, and it's the roadmap for getting through what's called today the last of the last days. If you want to learn more, visit Dr. Dave Reagan's website, lamblion.com. You can learn more at olivetreeviews.org, views as in viewpoint. And David, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jan. It's always a joy to be with you, and I pray the Lord allow you to continue to speak out till the very day of the rest. And you too, my friend. Thanks again. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Remember, all programs are posted on our website following the radio broadcast. Web address is olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. Coming up in our special report this week, a conversation with Jill Martin Ritchie on the paranormal. Find out what you should know about the effect it's having on today's church. So that is a typical occult experience when they start hearing voices and they start receiving instructions. So whether or not these people are personally involved in the occult, I cannot say. But I know what they are doing is rooted in the occult. That's next in 60 Seconds. Understanding the Times Radio, making a difference in keeping the church informed about the issues in our day. I want to thank you for listening to Understanding the Times Radio, for praying and for supporting this outreach, and I want to welcome our new stations, now over 600 strong across America. If you're a new listener, won't you drop us an email or a note? All of you, be sure to tell us what station you're listening to. We look at news and views on this program that have eternal value. Why not call a few friends in your life and tell them to turn the dial and tune in each week? All of Tree Ministries is not a weekly ministry. We operate 24-7 with our website, conferences, print newsletter, our store, with dozens of products. To learn more, give us a call, 763-559-4444, 763-559-4444. Stay tuned. We'll help you understand the times, contend for the faith, and become watchmen on the wall. You can find us online at olivetreeviews.org. And this is where the problem is with the kingdom of the occult as far as accuracy. They are inaccurate. Can Satan read our minds? No. Does he know what's going to happen in advance? No. And you can find that out in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Only God knows. 
what will happen in the future. Jill Martin-Ritchie is Jan's guest for our special report this week. Jill is the daughter of the late Dr. Walter Martin. She's continuing his ministry of discernment and apologetics. Here now is our special report. Welcome to our special report, and we know that God knows the future, so can we ask him about the future? Can we ask him to reveal the future to us? Many go to Satan's fortune tellers, Ouija boards, etc. Very often we have an update on the world of the paranormal, just because I hear no one else doing so in a generation where we are saturated with the supernatural from the dark side. The world of the occult lures the unwary promise of power. Knowledge of the present and past. Knowledge, however imperfect, of the future. And there is real power there. More than 500 million people worldwide are actively pursuing it through crystals, tarot games, palm reading, tea leaf reading, talking to the dead. People are consumed with the need to know because knowledge is power. Well, joining me for this segment is one I consider an expert at some of these issues, and that's Jill Martin Rishi. She has expanded her father's book, The Kingdom of the Occult. That is, she's expanded the book of the late Dr. Walter Martin. Olive Tree Ministries carries this, or you can learn more at waltermartin.com. Jill, welcome back to the program. Great to see you, Jim. Jill, you sent me some notes. You were talking in there about Maureen O'Hara. Talk to me about that. What was fascinating, I always loved her as an actress. And for those of you out there who are a little bit on the younger side, just to clarify, Maureen O'Hara was the first, she played the part of the first mother in the parent trap, the old parent trap. And for those of us who love her, have seen her in many, many movies. She, of course, was a, a really wonderful actress, very, very popular and certainly quite beautiful. But I picked up her autobiography because I was curious about who she was as a person. And I found first thing, first chapter in it, she tells a story about how she was a little girl and five years old and a gypsy comes to the door. A gypsy? I guess, you know, they made the rounds of the houses in Ireland. I don't know, but Mm -hmm. gypsy came to the door and actually took her palms in her hand and said to her, you will be very, very famous. You will leave Ireland. You will be very famous and very rich. But in the end, it will slip, all slip through your fingers. So she said that that really didn't impact her at all, that, you know, she she doesn't feel like that was something that uh, made a big difference in her life. But this is how the kingdom of the occult lures people. It lures them with riches. It lures them with power. And sometimes, somewhere, somehow, this was planted in her heart. And when the opportunity arose for her to leave Ireland, what did she do? She left Ireland. She became rich. She became famous. But there's a glitch in the prophecy. And that is, at the end, she did not feel that it at all slipped through her fingers. Mm. Not at all. And this is where the problem is with the kingdom of the occult as far as accuracy. They are inaccurate. Can Satan read our minds? No. Does he know what's going to happen in advance? No. And you can find that out in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Only God knows what will happen in the future. Satan can take guesses and he can take guesses based on his very long experience in dealing with the human race. And he can take guesses based on things he knows about people that surround you and even you yourself, but he does not know the future. So occult prophecy is a hit and miss scenario. 
Yes. I want to ask you about something that's going around right now big time because of the Pope issue. And we have somebody, I think we go back to Ireland again here, and that's the St. Malachy. St. Malachy has been predicting popes for generations, and people say, well, he's right all the time. I think you would differ with that. Malachy was not correct. No, I find it interesting. You know, when he first gave his prophecy, which is supposed to have been sometime back in about 1100, that area AD, after he died, it just disappeared. It vanished. Okay. And it vanished for 400 years. So all of a sudden, 400 years after the death of St. Malachy, we have all these predictions on the popes. Well, it supposedly was stored somewhere in, in the, who knows, archives of Yeah, they someplace. said they, I think someone said that they gave it to, he gave it to Pope Innocent. But again, you don't have a long pedigree. You don't know where this thing has come from. There's no provenance on this thing. Mm-hmm. So anybody could have written it and said, oh, I found prophecies from St. Malachy. But what I, I saw in my research is that a lot of people who who are really very devout Catholics, take on the defense of the saints. And no matter what happens, the saint is always correct. And unfortunately, you see that in a lot of the things that are written about St. Malachi on the internet. But the truth is, and in two key prophecies, quote unquote, having to do with Pius XI and Pius Twelfth, St. Malachi was way off. Pius XI was a pope from about 1922 to 1939, and he was the type of a pope who did not confront people. He would say things like, oh, you shouldn't do that, like to Hitler. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Mm, But his papacy was eventually called a conspiracy of silence. Your dad, Dr. Walter Martin, has actually, you have a short clip from him. Explain what that is. Well, God says that he will talk to us about the future. He says, come to me. If you want to know about the future, come to me. Don't go to anyone else Mm -hmm. because they're not going to be able to tell you that. And what you find out may cause terrible suffering in your life and in the lives of the people that you love. Right. But it also every now and then comes true. And that's the lure. Oh, sure it is, because anybody can take a guess. Anybody can guess and say, based on the surrounding circumstances, and we have to remember that Satan has quite a network of informants. And so you got to, you know, you've got to take that and look at it and say, well, could the CIA and their network of informants make uh, educated guesses on things? Sure they could. And we have to take that into account. But Satan is not perfect. He is not God. He is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. He cannot be everywhere at once. He is a created being. He is the lesser being. God is the greater being. God is his creator. Satan is the creation. Therefore, the knowledge that he has is imperfect. Satan is absorbed with predicting the future. And I'm positive that he makes certain predictions that he gives people come true for the purpose of giving credibility to the people. The person that wants to interpret the future apart from God is a person who would lead you away from the Lord your God. And that person is dangerous. In Isaiah chapter 45, there's another very telling passage that I draw your attention to, Isaiah chapter 45. Here the prophet spells out for us in very clear terms exactly what God wants us to know in this connection. What does he say? Listen to him. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker, Israel's Creator, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. What's God saying? Talk to me about it. Don't talk to the crystal balls. Don't talk to the bearded prophets. Don't talk to the people who tell you they can read your palm. Don't talk to the people who read the tea leaves. Don't talk to the people who can tell you all the things about everything because they have all the answers. Talk to me, says the Lord. Why? Well, here's his credentials. I have made the earth and created man. 
I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. What is God's answer to the people who are always trying to find out about the future? Talk to me about it. If you really want answers, I have them. And if I don't want to give them to you, it's better that you don't know them. Because if you knew everything that the future held right now, maybe you wouldn't want to go home tonight. Maybe you wouldn't want to look at the person next to you or the member of your family. Maybe life wouldn't be bearable anymore. That is why the Lord hath placed these things within his own providence. And getting back really quickly to Pius XI, mm-hmm. okay? when you look at St. Malachi, he said that Pius XI had unshaken faith. Okay. That's, how he, that's how he categorized him. However, he had unshaken faith, but he had no guts. He didn't do anything to try to physically protect the Jews, nothing at all. So you see how that prophecy is not completely true. There's unshaken faith, but it doesn't go to the opposite side of the weakness and the damage that he did to the Jewish people. And when you move on to Pope Pius Twelfth, he's called an angelic shepherd, but history records him as Hitler's Pope. I think the reason he's getting attention, and obviously we're in a time here of um, we're about to have a new Pope literally any day, and Malachi has said this will be the last Pope. So I think we can set that aside then as nonsense, correct? Absolutely. Anytime yeah. someone prophesies something yeah. and it comes up false, you can just you know happily disregard anything else they have to say because it's not coming from God. What is God's answer to people who spend their days trying to find out the future? And you and I both know all sorts of people, and you know my testimony in my 20s. I spent a lot of time trying to find my future on the Ouija board, and I had some success with that. And when I say I had some success, I'm not quite sure. I think the power was from the dark side. And some of the things that I was being told came true. Others, of course, didn't come true. Anyway, what is God's answer to people who spend their days trying to find out their future? And I'll tell you, it's addicting. Mm -hmm. And you get a little bit of a taste of it. And you want a little bit more. And then you want a little bit more. Well, God has an answer that says, basically, come to me if you want to know and do not go to anyone else. Do not go to the astrologers, you know, to the mediums, to the magicians. Do not go to any of these people because what you will be doing is exposing yourself and exposing those you love and care about to the kingdom of the occult. And we've talked about this before, Jan, that the door to this other dimension, the Bible is a dimensional book. There's the dimension of heaven, dimension of hell, dimension of earth. Well, what happens is with the kingdom of the occult, the door is cracked open and you can go to that and let through the power of awesome evil. So God says, do not go there, come to me. And he even gives us a promise of things. He says, I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hand stretched out the heavens and all their hosts. I have commanded, I have raised him up in righteousness and I will direct all his ways. And he says, come to me because I know and no one else does. Satan does not know in advance what someone will do. No. Emphasize that or re-emphasize that. No, he does not. We are told specifically in the Bible that only God Mm -hmm. knows. Again, they can take educated guesses and they keep really interesting data files on some of us, Mm -hmm. but not all of us. And they can make educated guesses, but no, he is not omnipotent. Only God is, and only God knows. Well, he's been trying to counterfeit God for generations and Absolutely. Generations. He said, I will be like the most yeah, high God. Exactly. That was his reason for yeah. rebelling against God, because he wanted to be God. Yeah. The thing is, is that in essence and nature, he was never God. He was only a created being. Jill, I thank you for coming in today. Your book, The Kingdom of the Occult, 
And you can find that at waltermartin.com. You can find that here at olivetreeviews.org. Appreciate your stopping by. Great to be here, Jan. Folks, we may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And I encourage you always to seek God's face and not tap into the legion of lies the enemy offers that are gimmicks to devastate a life. And there's no end to all the opportunities that have been designed to destroy and not to build up. The Word of God is a direct line to God. Use it as your lifeline and your compass to guide your future. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next time. Jesus, Redeemer, mighty to save. You are the love song we'll sing forever. Bowing before you, blessing This program may be new to this radio station, and you may be a new listener to Understanding the Times Radio. So we would like to get better acquainted by offering you a free gift. If you are not already in our database, we would like to send to you a choice of the DVD of Dr. Mark Hitchcock's America in Prophecy or Dr. Erwin Lutzer's message on heaven. Just call us at 763-559-4444. That's 763-559-4444. Or contact us through our website, olive3views.org. Jen Martell appreciates your time with her this week. We hope you'll let her know you're listening. We've been expanding our radio coverage over the past few months. We need to know where our new listeners are finding us. Please let us know that we're coming in loud and clear in your area. Your comments will be a confirmation that we're expanding in the right direction. For more details about this program, please visit our website, olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. If you would like to become a prayer or financial partner with us, our mailing address is Olive Tree Ministries, Post Office Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. You can also call our office at 763-559-4444. That's 763-559-4444. Please join us next week. When Joseph Farah from WorldNet Daily and Jan Markell help you understand the times. Thanks for listening. <laughs>